Not this Bryce, your assistant? No, of course not. He's my transfusion associate. Which is? Are you really not familiar with parabiosis? Can't say that I am. Well, the science is actually pretty fascinating. Regular transfusions of the blood of a younger, physically fit donor can significantly retard the aging process. And Bryce is a picture of health. Just look at him. He looks like a Nazi propaganda poster. <laughs> oh. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. One of your hosts, E. Simon. Hello, comrades. I am Case Rumbo. Hiya. Um, Kate Rambo, are you on the side of the Russians or the Ukrainians? In in what? In the war. In it sounds like you're you'd be, you're you're becoming Russian. Are you like a Russian spy? Are you saying that? Well, excuse me, that could have been my Ukrainian accent. I think you're being very stereotypical. I don't think Ukrainians say comrades. Could have been any comrades. part of Eastern European. I don't think right. Ukrainians say comrades. All right, well, you go Chesk, Dobrochovex, Dobrokobietes. There you go. I'm on the Polish side. That's whose side I am. I'm on All the right, that works. Um, I'm on the side that allows you to have an abortion. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I'm sure a lot Same. of people already are well aware that there is a leak of a draft majority opinion um, from the Supreme Court, which is unprecedented, actually. Uh, it's rarely ever happened. Uh, but apparently in this, this draft majority opinion, the Supreme Court has voted to overturn Roe versus Wade. Uh, the foundational 1973 decision legalizing the right to abortion in the United States. Um, but yeah, the document, which was circulated by Politico and other media outlets, is supported by five conservative justices. So the only Wait, person... five assholes is who it's yeah, supported five by. Dicks. Five fucking cunts is who it's supported by, dear. Well, the only person who hasn't at actually indicated which way he'll vote is the Chief Justice, John Roberts, so... We'll have to wait to see. Now, this draft is not 100% final, and there's still, still going to be last-minute vote changes up until the decision's published, which probably around like July, August. But in its current form, the current majority support within the high court, the draft document appears to signal the end of federal protection for abortion, which is more than alarming. <laughs> It is disgusting, but while I was researching um, like the history of abortion recently, because that's what we're going to do in the overkill, I like Roe versus Wade is really fucking shaky, anyways, and I'm surprised that it hasn't been like what it's based on is really fuck. It's it's all so corrupt to begin with. Unlike like it's not corrupt in the way that like England or France or Europe has our abortion laws. They're locked down. Nobody can come and fuck with them. But Roe versus Wade is already a shaky kind of thing. So I'm surprised this hasn't happened earlier. I just think um, there hasn't been, well, first of all, a conservative majority has been ready. But I mean, it's been on the uh, cutting, chopping block for so long. Like they've been, they've been yeah. gunning for this for so long. And now it's the 90s. Uh, I'd say since the 80s, you know, um, Ronald Reagan was against abortion, but there's been federal protection since 1973. But conservative prick Justice Samuel Alito blasted the original 1973 Roe decision that legalized abortion. Um, he said, 
Roe, that we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. That's the opinion of the court. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. To whom? To whom? Who's, to who's been damaged to by To white men that can't control women's bodies. You know, it's, it's so encouraging to watch this country creep closer and closer to the handmaid's tale. It's like, yeah, it's like you guys are reverting back into the Victorian era completely. Well, it's like it's going to be workhouses next for all these children. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's because Handmaid's Hill is becoming a reality. And there's people like Mike Pence and Alito and Kavanaugh and that Amy, what's her name? Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett, who would just welcome that. I could see Amy Coney Barrett being one of the, uh, you know, the mothers in Handmaid's Tale that's like holding the handmaid between her legs while she's getting fucked fucked by her husband. husband. Yeah. And just smiling the entire time. Just that weird thousand yard stare conservative woman smile. Do Um, you think I'll be cast first into the fiery pit because I've had abortions? Do you think they would just be like, you got rid of children? I think you're going to have to wear like a shirt with an A on it. So everyone knows <laughs> the, the abortion, what, the I'll scarlet letter. Pride. <laughs> Having abortions was the greatest thing I ever did. And I would, I would do it again. No questions asked. Well, this is what kind of blows my mind. So Alito, obviously there's protesters. Obviously everybody, you know, is just in shock, even though, I mean, this has been on the chopping block for quite some time. But Alito pushed back against the idea that tossing out protections for abortion would reflect on the subjugation of women. And he kept emphasizing that women are a large voting block. Women, they're not without political power. I mean, the percentage of women who register to vote and cast ballots is consistently higher than the percentage of men. Sure. Because we're responsible. That's yeah, but sure. That's all well and good. But we can't vote you out, you fucking prick. We can't vote you yeah. out. Supreme Court justices in this country are appointed for life. Which and is thus can do a lot of damage. Like but they could do a lot of damage in their tenure. And, and to be honest, you know, Trump didn't really accomplish much. <laughs> Just a fucking troll asshole. But this is his legacy. The one thing he did accomplish, he appointed three conservative justices in one term. Can't yeah. say too many presidents have done that. He should have just built his fucking wall. At least well, that could be knocked out. I think that's coming soon. This wall against abortion. I mean, he's had a lot, I mean, major influence on the nation's highest court, the people who actually affect change, the people who vote to change laws. Uh, the, th- the three that he appointed, Neil Gorsuch, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and, and Amy Coney Barrett, are the most by any president since Ronald Reagan in a single term. And what's even scarier, all three of those justices, very conservative justices that he appointed, are 55 or younger. What's shocking is, is that sh- that should be allowed to happen in the first place. It shouldn't be like that. It should be if you're going to have a council of people who are going to overlook your nation, would you not like to have, like, I don't know, nine people who represent the nine different corners of your society? Kind of like the UN. Is that not how it should fucking be? And not, well, like, I think what? there should be terms. Three of them who all agree that abortion is evil and wrong. Well, it's more than three. They got the majority. I I think there should be terms. They should be served for eight years, and then we vote on the next, you know, we vote for congressmen who will vote for the next Supreme Court justices. They shouldn't be 55 years. I mean, that's like 30 years of legislation. Look how long Ruth Bader Ginsburg served for. It's like Amy Coney Barrett 
think of all the damage she's going to do in the next 30 years. But, but you know what? There's also Future's not, nothing stopping anyone um, taking them out. <laughs> Is there? <laughs> Americans used to love shooting their presidents. What's happened to that? We used to love, like, at the minute, it's not like Britain can talk with our prime minister. My goodness. He's, like, broken the law, and we're all just like, meh. <laughs> like, I let him stay. Now we just, Why like, uh, shooting school children and country music fans. Um, so people are protesting. People are upset, and understandably so. Uh, you know, they're protesting outside the Supreme Court. They're protesting outside the homes of these Supreme Court justices. Amazing. Um, That's great. And, you know, and to be honest, I'm not sure if they'll ever be able to outlaw abortion in states like New York or or uh, no. California, you know, or Oregon. I, I can't really see that happening there. But in the states that they do outlaw abortion, you know, there's a lot of companies like Tesla, for example, that will pay transportation and housing to any staff member who is in need of an abortion. They'll just take them right over the border to a state that allows it. And I think that's kind of great. And many major companies have introduced similar policies. So, I mean, that was really bold. I'm not saying I like Elon Musk or anything he like fucking does. But for him to come out and say that, especially when Tesla is based in Texas, I think it's so fucking bold of him. Like, yeah, he's no, putting I'm, his I'm allegiances by that. out there. I mean, he's kind of giving a finger to the local government. You know, state yeah, government. I think it's brilliant of him. But I mean, the fact of the matter is they can overturn Roe versus Wade, but they will never stop abortion. No, of they, won't. they won't. Even Never. if they you criminalize it. Abortion. Yeah, but even if they criminalize it, they're not going to stop abortion. I mean, uh, no. this week on uh, Overkill, Kate covered DIY abortion techniques throughout history in depth. Um, and, you know, you yourself, you've had several abortions over the years. I have. Um, discussed it on the show a couple times. I'm, uh, I'm did proud you... of my abortions, putting it out there. You definitely sound like it. Did you ever try any home remedies? You ever give Penny Royal tea a shot? No, because actually, for anyone who is listening and thinking, shit, maybe I will try Penny Royal tea. You shouldn't try Penny Royal tea. It's actually really dangerous to you because it causes your womb to continue contracting for basically forever. So you, it, there's a high chance you'll die. But there's so many. Rem as long as people have been fucking, people have been aborting. You know, my father always used a different hanger for abortions. Oh, not the shit hanger. Well, yeah, that's good because that would cause infections. <laughs> Who's inherited the... Oh, that's the hanger I should inherit then. The abortion hanger? Yeah, because obviously you all got your own shit hanger after the rabbi passed. But when you find the abortion hanger in all his goods, I'll I'll keep hold of that. I'll need that. I have to see if my sister will give it up. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> it hasn't really worked well for her. No, um, so did it did it get easier like with abortion number seven and eight it does honestly i think there's so much stigma attached to abortion and what happens to it and at the it is just a medical procedure at the end of the day it's nothing to be ashamed of pretty much everyone i know i don't know if i hang around with a bunch of sluts pretty much everyone i know has had an abortion God, is that just the north of england though is that the north yeah. of england is that just common up there it's typical it is common mate and you like you can only learn through sharing knowledge can't you and like telling everyone like how the procedure goes and what happens and it's nothing to be scared of it's nothing it's nothing well, bad about or terrible how many abortions has donald trump jr paid for oh fucking hundreds <laughs> probably all in all in like the top swish hospitals where they'll have been given the best drugs and knocked out for it it's like these people are all hypocrites beyond well, compare 
When you got an abortion, did you go to an NHS doctor? Did they use like a sump pump yeah. or a vacuum or something? <laughs> well, <I'm> like, no. <laughs> like my pussy is so diamond level that it just spat that fetus out. Within but did minutes. they give you like uh, pills or some kind of abortive fashion? Yeah, uh, pills. That's how it's done here. I know like if the further along you get, maybe sometimes they will have to like do the, they try and not do the invasive thing where they go in and like scrape you out basically. It's pills and you pass it naturally. Like a like a forced miscarriage. That's essentially what it That's is. That's what it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, but abortion pills are readily available. I mean, now, and they can easily be shipped throughout the country. So that that's what's going to happen. Is they're going to they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Next thing you know, they're going to go after the abortion pill providers. So you can only get abortion pills in certain states and things like that. Well, recently, I was looking into this. I read about a biohacking collective that provided a tutorial online on how to make your own abortion pills at home, amongst. Other drugs, such as like uh, do-it-yourself EpiPen and Daraprim, which uh, people that might remember uh, the old uh, pharma bro, Martin Shkreli, he, uh, his company bought that, that, the patent to Daraprim, and I think it was like a parasitic medication or something that was used yes. to treat HIV patients. But it was available for like $13, and he raised the price to like $750 a pill. What an evil man. So that's what's great about these anarchist collectives, like uh, this biohacking collective, Four Thieves Vinegar Collective. I mean, they're just there pretty much giving the finger to people like Martin Shkreli, being like, yeah, you can charge as much as you want for this drug. We'll teach people how to make it at home. Power to the people. So, Always. So more power to you, fucking Amy Coney Barrett and Samuel Alito. Outlaw abortion as much as you want. There's people like... Michael Lawfer, who runs uh, you know, the Fourth Thieves Vinegar Collective, that will teach people, that will empower people to make their own abortion pills. So fuck you, Supreme Court. You know, it's like, fuck you, Ted Cruz. We'll make our own abortion pills. You're not going to stop abortion. That won't happen. Anyway, I reached out to Michael Lawfer, fascinating individual, and I completely support this cause. And uh, asked him if he wanted to come on the show to chat about like biohacking which I've always wanted to talk about biohacking here on Sick and Wrong, and the mission statement of, uh, of Four Thieves. So before we get to that, um, people, this is episode 842 here of Sick and Wrong. I want to play a quick word about the Patreon page, and then we'll, uh, we'll play this interview here with, uh, with Michael from the Four Thieves Vinegar Collective. Uh, thank you, everybody, for supporting us on Patreon. Um, yeah, yeah, seriously, people, like it's keeping the show going. It's uh, helping this uh, middle-aged man through his existential crisis when it comes to podcasting. I mean, to be honest, I've been like trying to weigh like my time at this point. Like, I spend a lot of time doing this show. Kate spends a lot of time doing the show, and I could be doing other things, like smoking weed, masturbating to Pornhub. But instead, you know, I, I, I limit my time doing that, and I spend a lot of time doing this show. And the reason being is because you know people out there listen to the show and they listen and they, they and they you know and support, they support the, show. the show they support us and i do appreciate that and it keeps the show going um so here's a quick word about our patreon page and then we'll get to the interview with michael offer hey guys it's steven again just calling from evan through a miracle of cybernetic processes just to say thanks for creating your patreon page I love to kick back and smoke a fat one with my boy Carl Sagan. 
while we listen to the extra phone calls and stories we get all the time. Anyway, talk soon. Love you. Bye. Hey, Michael, this is uh, Dean Kate from Sick and Wrong. Uh, how are you doing? Doing great. Great to see you guys. Hey, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, so I, I recently read about uh, your collective and uh, was intrigued. You know, I wanted to learn more. And so, so I wrote to you and I, it was cool connecting to you with you the other day. So tell me about Four Thieves Vinegar Collective. What, what's the purpose? What's the mission? mission is to try to get medicines and medical technologies to people who need them but don't have access for whatever reason and we're pretty agnostic about our methodologies in this regard so across the globe or are you focus on like specific countries that deny people medication or or block medication for people well in you know civilized countries like Iceland, where it's not a problem and everybody can get everything they need. Um, we don't have a lot of activity. Actually, I should correct that. In Iceland, there's actually, uh, it's difficult to get Narcan. And we have been working with some members of parliament there to try and ease that. But in, in general, they have pretty good health care in most of Scandinavia. And so, yeah, places like uh, that or other places where health care is socialized to a fair degree. Um, you know, Canada does a decent job of it. The UK at least used to do a decent yeah. job of it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, used to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, despite the fact that we are ideologically an anarchist collective, in environments where the infrastructure is sufficiently sophisticated that it's taking care of its constituency rather than leaving it in the lurch, there's no need for us. And, and that's kind of great. Actually, as a goal, we'd like to be irrelevant eventually. Um, well, unfortunately with uh, certain legislations that that's about to be overturned, uh, I think we need you more now than, than ever. So you run yeah, the collective. Yeah. Uh, when, when did you found it? Like, when did it start? Well, um, it's, it's hard to say. I started thinking about these sorts of questions and trying to develop strategies to attack them starting really in 2008, but it wasn't until more like 2015 that um, I started working on this with sort of all of my energy and time and concentration. How many people are in the uh, collective? Like, how many people do you work with? Um, wow, it would be hard to count. Currently, um, probably around 60, I'd say. Oh, wow. Yeah, much larger than yeah. I thought. It's, it's, it's more than that, probably. And it's also, it's, it's hard to quantify because... Mm it's pretty loosely organized and people do come and go with a fair degree of frequency. Um, do all the members have like science or medical or engineering backgrounds? Oh, no. I mean, and, and also it depends on how you define background. There are plenty of people who are self-taught who are really sophisticated. We do have plenty of people who do have formal training, people who are MDs and RNs and 
you know, pharmacists, um, people who are trained uh, formally as scientists. Um, but we work with people across the board. Um, there are people who have no formal training and are still very good at that. We also work a lot with people who are non-scientists um, for a lot of the things that we do. We collaborate with artists and uh, uh, various creative types mm. who work to help us communicate what we're doing. Um, recently, we've been working with an animator, which is really exciting. Um, so th it's a it's a really diverse group. It sounds um, like it's really fun to be able to, you know, my day is spent interacting with all kinds of different people from, you know, graphic design artists to user interface design people and chemists and surgeons and, um, and, you know, political strategists, it's, it's and moral philosophers and, and on down the line. It's, um, it's, it's really good. It's really good time. What is your background? Are you a, a, a trained yeah. scientist or? Um, I am uh, not in this field. My background's in mathematics and physics. I, I did my undergraduate work in mathematics and physics. I was, a, I was a double major. And then I entered graduate school in the math department um, and did my PhD in math. But ultimately, my advisor was a physicist. And the problem that I worked on for my doctoral dissertation was a question from high energy physics, particle physics. So I, that, that's my background in particle <laughs> physics and, and uh, abstract mathematics. Um, yeah. So I don't, um, I was never a lab scientist really. Um, and I'm, I'm not formally trained beyond sort of a basic level in, uh, biology or chemistry, I, I did enough of that, that I can have an intelligent conversation with somebody who is trained in that background. But, um, but you, you, you never worked in like a laboratory doing this. Yeah, no, not, you know, not beyond college. Um, like I, I did lab work in college, but it's very basic. So I, I sort of know how all these things happen. So when I have conversations with these really sophisticated chemists that are part of the collective, I know enough that when they explain something to me, I can understand it, but I would never be able to come up with the things that they come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even think I could follow them, but <laughs> I'd try. I just need a little more of a background. So how, what, what, made, what made you get into biohacking at the time? Like, were you familiar with the term? No, like, no, it was, it was uh, very circuitous that I, discovered the biohacking community at all. I mean, I come from a hacking background, certainly. I was a, I did, I was a computer hacker when I was a kid, you know, it was this mm -hmm. wonderful, new, promising world that you could explore. Yeah. And it was very, it felt so good. It was extremely egalitarian. Um, people were very much judged based on their ability and it was, it was, you could learn so much and you could deconstruct and build systems. And it was so exciting. So that, and, and the hacker ethic always resonated with me, these sorts of ideas that technology can be used to 
creatively to make things that make the world better and that information should be accessible and free and shared and that knowledge and information belongs to humanity, not to individuals or small groups and that we're, we're, we're all in it together and let's learn and let's make great things. And so that, that was a, that was a world that always resonated with me and that I remained peripherally part of uh, since I was a kid. And so when I started building stuff that was the genesis of the things we now um, develop at Four Thieves, I didn't know where else to go to present what I had. So I contacted Hackers on Planet Earth, which is the conference that the magazine 2600, the Hacker Quarterly puts on. And they said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And that, that was sort of my first entree into the public world. And very quickly, the collective became more than just me um, because there were all of these people who were better at all the things that I was <laughs> trying to do so, so desperately. But, but that was your intro um, to the community, though. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned to me the other night that there's like, two different types of biohackers. So there's the ones that, yes. that kind of aspire to be like a cyborg. Like they're like modifying themselves, their, their bodies technically. And then there's like, mm. it sounds like four thieves, like altruists who are using technology to make the world better. Well, I, I, I wouldn't separate it that way. I think that um, when you look at the real biohackers that both groups have an altruistic bent they have different strategies though the two the two strategies are the sort of cyborg thing where what you're doing is you're taking uh existing technology and trying to integrate it with living organisms um so mm -hmm. as you mentioned like building implants um and you know and i do some of that as well um, trying to find ways to integrate the human body and animal bodies to some degree into uh, integrated systems of, of modern technology. And there's a lot of cool things that are being done with that. And some of those quite altruistic. And then there's the other, the other strategy centers around um, looking at biological systems as the platform for the hacking, the manipulation where people will manipulate genes or look at gene expression or uh, adjust chemical or chemical signaling systems. I mean, you know, really, if you want to think about the first, first transhumanists and the first biohackers, you're talking about trans people right? They yeah. were the first mm -hmm. ones to say, hey, I'm adjusting my biology and I don't Changing care if anybody gender. likes it or gives me permission. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they're like shifting their biological structure. So it's, yeah. it's, it's kind And of so, yeah, I think there are some people who have 
tried to co-opt the term biohacking to just say like, oh, I make my coffee differently or I take my amphetamines in a certain stack or whatever, and I call myself a biohacker. But the, the people that I would label as biohackers all have this inherently altruistic bent of saying, how do we improve the quality of life for people using technology? I mean, Left Anonym, who coined the term biohacking, defines it that way. And, and I ascribe to that definition very much. So do you have chips implanted in your body? I do. Oh, yeah. You, Okay. <laughs> what what do they got? Got? I'm intrigued. The the first implant I got um was a pirate file server that I built myself. Um we would so so there's a very small event um that's held out in the Mojave Desert with a, a very very wonderful, wonderful group of hardcore biohackers um who call themselves grinders because of their sort of avant-garde approach to things and left anonym was there and asked me to make an implant uh on the spot this was just like an idea that left had and we spent the next 50 hours building this implant and and then coded it and then it got surgically implanted and it was something like 10 months that this thing that we just just sprinted together, to put together yeah. worked and it was so cool and it was it was exactly that it was a wireless uh pirate file server that um that lived in left's uh upper arm uh, for a long time and so then we spent uh, the the group of guys that i worked with to build that and I tried to figure out a way to make it smaller and more functional, which we did. And it took us, I don't know, 10 months of a tremendous amount of work, um, but we did. And we presented that at, at uh, DEF CON. Um, hmm. So what happened was, you know, I was coordinating across three continents and like endless late night, early morning phone calls trying to, get all the hardware and software working. And once we finally did, then I built the hardware and loaded it with the software that the software guy had written. And then I shipped it to California where the guy who does the biocompatible coatings coded it. And then I flew there and arrived shortly before DEF CON and um, yeah, and then he did the surgery. So, and what, what is the surgery? My like, leg. How how involved is the surgery? They just kind of cut open a slice in your leg, slip it in, or are there are certain spots that are more amenable. Yeah, I mean, it's basically that the the way that um, it, you have a subcutaneous sort of layer, very thin layer of fat that sits between your skin and your muscle, mm -hmm. and basically you sort of open that up to make space um and yeah slip the thing in slip the thing in and so what does it do what does it allow you to do so when you spin it up it creates a wireless hotspot so if you were on your phone or your computer you just see a network there that said peg leg <laughs> um right <laughs> 
And when you log into it, uh, it's it's a web page. It's a web page interface, and there's a there's a chat. There's a chat box, so you can you can have real time chats with anybody else who's connected to the network. And there's a there are forums, so you can post things. And then there's a file repository where you can upload and download and stream. And the thing that's special about it is that everything's scrubbed and anonymized. Um, and it's only a local area network. It's not connected to the internet, right? So this is something where people can communicate in a small space without fear of surveillance from afar, yeah. uh, without right. any, any trail of documentation of what they might or might not have done. Like if somebody uploads something, like, well, who did that? Well, I don't know. Oh, is that protected under copyright? Well, nobody's business. Yeah, I'll let you know. Um, and so it's impossible to censor. It's impossible to surveil. Uh, everything's anonymous. And the other thing that's so cool about this is that it is a mesh network node. So the other people who also have these, these communicate laterally. So you can file share between nodes. So if you're connected to my peg leg, um, but I'm in turn close enough to somebody else's peg leg that has a file that you want, you can request it from mine and mine will act as a relay. It's like airdrop. Um, do you, how do you know if someone else is, I guess has one of these uh, wireless implants? Like, does it just pop up on your computer? Like, oh, nearby, there's like six people that have it. Um, well, you can, if you spin it up, yeah, it'll show up as an as an open Wi-Fi network, essentially. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, easy to find. You can just sense this it. is like a modern Hellfire Club. This is how the future is going to be. Yeah, I mean that's okay. that's sort of the idea, and and the the inspiration for it was again harkening back to the early days of the internet. Rotten. It had such promise. I miss it every day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just- yeah. Right. <laughs> that was my favorite. If you could make a chip where I could just load up the original rotten.com, I would get that implanted in myself in like a second. The internet archive. So yeah, so this was so this was the this was sort of the genesis where it was like I remember and I think a lot of people like you remember that there was this promise where it was more than what we hoped. We genuinely believed that the internet was going to be this new place it was impossible to commodify yeah. and it was impossible to surveil and it was impossible to censor and it was going to be this free egalitarian place where we could you know sort of rebuild things in a new way that was sort of fueled by hope and so as naive. it's turned out it's been the opposite of all <laughs> so of those things yeah. right so, naive. It's so yeah. heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking and um and so i I had this conversation that you and I are having so many times with so many people who are technologists and, you know, incredibly sophisticated people. And the conclusion that everybody has come to is, well, we need a new internet. Uh, Okay, cool. But that's easy to say. (laughs) Um, And the question of how that gets implemented is really, really touchy. Um, there have been a number of attempts to do it, but all of the current attempts, they're 
fairly difficult to manage and they all sit on top of the existing backbone structure of the internet. Um, like the dark web, basically. Kind of. Sounds right. Like so, so like Tor, like Tor is one example, or Freenet, yeah. or um, IPFS, other protocols that that are they're changing the protocol structure, um, but on a higher level, right? On a higher layer than saying, "Look, um, I know nobody likes to talk about this, but everything that we do and say goes through a light pipe." that's controlled by a nation state's government. Yeah. And Being nobody seems to like be bothered by this or think about that as a security risk. I mean, some people do, you know, security experts do, but this is not part of the sort of common discourse. Um, so, so I made any number of attempts to try and adjust that and try and get back what, we thought we were going to get. Um, I, at one point, tried to actually um, <laughs> get the Iridium network to give me their old satellites before they decommissioned them. <laughs> and we had this great plan that we were going to just keep them up, maintain them, and just have a free data network um, that was just open. And eventually, I mean, and we got actually into negotiations and I chatted with the CEO. He was a nice guy and he turned me down eventually. And for, for good, well thought out reasons, he didn't just tell me to, to buzz off. Um, but that didn't work. And so then, you know, the, the next question, the next question. Then when we made these, these implants, I thought, gosh, you know, if enough of us had these, maybe this, this That's could the be network. our new internet. Yeah. Um, it hasn't happened yet. I think only, um, I don't know, maybe only 11 people have them, but they're, they're out there. You never know. You yeah. might be near one once. If you see, if you see a, if you see a Wi-Fi network pop up when you're in a cafe somewhere that says peg leg, like <laughs> eh, look around, there's somebody you're going to be able to have a really good conversation with probably. I, I think it's the surgical implantation that probably discourages you, user adoption, but who knows? Um, they might catch on. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, you say yes. that, but a lot of women have the contraceptive implant and it's the same yeah. type of deal. I mean, like it's the same thing. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Michael, you are recently in the media again um, with your tutorial on how to make abortion pills at home. Obviously, I think, you know, obviously due to the recent news about uh, Roe versus Wade being possibly overturned, um, something like uh, being able to make abortion pills at home could really help people. So you put out a tutorial on how to do this. How difficult is it? Like, how how would you even source the drugs? Like, what is it, misoprostol and mifepristone? Like, how do you get those? Yeah, I, it's it's surprisingly easy in terms of the various things that we have um, tried to create tutorials of various types for this is probably the easiest oh. um so i think we did this first in 2018 at um please try this at home too which is a, a bodily autonomy biohacking anarchist uh, sort of yeah uh, conference that happened in pittsburgh and we did a workshop. We actually 
had everything there and people sat down and made their own sets of abortion drugs. Um, and it was really cool. Like, and I was really excited by it. I thought it was really promising to have this information out there. And somebody had actually recorded audio from that entire session, which was really nice and, and archived it. And somebody had written up um, sort of an instruction set, which I thought was so great, but it really didn't get any traction. Like I thought this was really important, but aside from a small group of people who are activists this went largely unnoticed and then i don't know uh, uh some months ago texas did yeah. another one of their shenanigans Fear of trying to restrict access to abortion at the state level and so i flew into a bit of a panic and um decided that it was necessary to put together a video tutorial because video is the format that most people consume their information on these days. And yeah, so I thought, okay, is. well, meet people where they're at. This is, if this is the medium, I'll put something out in that medium. And I thought it was very topical. And uh, again, I got almost no traction, which I thought was very strange. You know, again, a handful of activists were said some very kind things and i don't think it got yeah that's uh, weird you'd think that would go viral was... say again you'd think something like that would go viral like get picked up by news organizations things like that and yeah know. well i did i did but i i misestimate where our projects land every time so again that one didn't get much traction um and it sat online for months and months and then when it hit the front page of the New York Times, what the, <laughs> what the uh, Supreme Court was getting up to. I mean, and again, it's, it's, it's strange to sort of look at how information moves because that, first of all, anybody who was watching knew that that was coming oh, like yeah. a half a dozen years ago, right? Oh, and, yeah. um, and indeed, furthermore, that leak came months ago, as I understand it. Hmm. But once it hit the papers, then everybody lost their minds. Freaking out. Um, and so then, yes, then all of a sudden that, that <laughs> you got, got your traction because it became more of the moment. Yeah. And so how difficult is it? To, you're saying it's, it's, it's relatively easy, I guess, to make this abortion pill. It's just two different drugs that you kind of combine. But do you, I mean. No, you, no, you don't combine them. So, so oh. the, the regimen um, is that you take one of the drugs, you take one dose of one of the drugs, and you wait a set period of time, and then you take a dose of the other one, and then you wait a set period of time, and then you take a second dose of the other one, and wait a set period of time. Then you take a third dose of the second one, okay. and and that's it. And that's just that's it. You you swallow, um, you know, four sets of pills. And so you just need to make those pills. And I should amend the word swallow. You swallow the first one, and then the the second three sets you let dissolve uh, between your cheek and your teeth. Um, oh. so, it, 
And, and this is the thing. In a lot of cases, right, if you want to make your own drugs, all you have to do is figure out what the active pharmaceutical ingredient is, order that active pharmaceutical ingredient from a chemical supplier, and put it in a gel cap. So for mifepristone, which is the first drug, you can literally do that. You, you get the API, you measure it out on a scale, you put it in some gel caps, and then you have that. That's the first pill. Then for the, the second three, you need to press a tablet because it needs to dissolve. Um, and that, I mean, it takes a little bit of practice, but again, at our workshop, we had these pill presses. And again, that's not like a fancy thing. It's a, it's a $10 item off of Alibaba that consists of three pieces of steel. You put the powder in, you, you mist it with some water and you hit it with a hammer and then it becomes a tablet or a pollen press where it's sort of a tube with a screw in it and then you just press it down and then you push it out and let it dry. Um, and so that, that takes a little practice because you're not just putting in your active pharmaceutical ingredient, you're also putting in buffer and binder, which again, are not fancy things. You're talking about um, like uh, powdered sugar and, and um, powdered milk, right? Just something to hold it together and something to take up some space so it's the right size. Um, you, you missed it with a spray bottle, you squeeze down the press, however you have it, and then you just let it dry on a paper towel, and then you're done. Um, hmm. yeah, it's so it's, it's really not. And not then if you're in America, you charge $200 for each. <laughs> a little right. more than yeah. that. <laughs> so uh, yeah. do, do you have a warning on the, like, is this dangerous potentially? Like make abortion pills at your own risk? Or are there no, you know, major side effects? No, I mean, I've, I've had some strange conversations with some people who have said like, yeah, how do we make um, abortion pills safer? And I was, I, I kind of, you know, furred my brow and I was like, how can you possibly make them safer? This is like I mean, the best, most functional medication that's ever been invented. Um, they're like, well, these, these side effects of like cramping and bleeding. And I was like, those aren't side effects. You, that's those process. are primary effects that's it's your body that's part of what happens when you're yeah. in, inducing this change in your body um so the no there there's not there's not really a warning that that goes along with it save for the fact that it's not a hundred percent effective although it's roughly 95% effective if you mm. use it properly, which is pretty good. Um, additionally, when you take those drugs orally, there's no way to detect that you took them. You can't get a blood test or anything to determine that those drugs are in your body. So if you're in an extremely repressive environment where you would potentially be prosecuted for doing something like that. There's no way to prove that you did. You can, if it goes wrong, you can merely show up at a hospital and say, I feel like I'm having a miscarriage. Something's amiss, help. And, you know, you'll- They can't trace it. Get the help you need, but you yeah. won't, and you won't go to jail. So um, for, you know, I mean, taking 
any drug is like you're changing your body's chemistry. So it's you do it with the respect it deserves. But um, I yeah, I don't think this carries anything beyond the standard warnings. You're doing the exact same thing that you would do if you were acquiring commercial versions of those pills. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I can't emphasize how important this is right now because you know if Roe versus Wade is actually overturned, you know they're probably going to try to ban all abortion pills next. But the the fact of the matter is, they're not going to be able to control DIY abortions. It's you know women will still have abortions, well, that, and if it's yeah, illegal, it'll, it'll just be to more how dangerous. It was exactly. In the Victorian eras, women will always get abortions no matter what, but it's important to do it safely. I don't know if you're yes. aware of this, but in the UK now, ever since the COVID, it used to be that you would go into, up until a certain point, obviously, you would go into the hospital to have your abortions. But now you have your abortions at home in the UK. They send you with the pills. Nice. And 28 yeah, days good. later, you'll go and get a scan just to make sure that you know everything has like exited your uterus but that's becoming the norm like to have an abortion at home and personally as someone who's had abortions i would rather have an abortion at home because at least i'm at home in my own environment i'm comfortable here i don't have to go to yeah. hospital yeah. yeah yeah and i mean and the thing is that's the thing is like since humans have been having abortions since humans have been having sex like it's it's <laughs> it's as old as biology like there's and there have been innumerable methods we have really good technology for it that's very very well established i mean it's that's a 50 or 60 year old technology um uh, and it it works like it works better than just about any other medication for anything else out there it's it's really quite amazing um yeah. and and furthermore like it, it the just to circle back to the question that you had about like, okay, you know, is, is making it a risky thing? I would say it's actually safer than buying them commercially because you buy a pill commercially, you're taking it on faith that that was manufactured properly, that it was stored properly, that it was shipped properly, that when it got put in the bottle, the right pills got put in, you know, th there are a lot of things that you're taking on faith that you're not allowed to audit. You can't vault the, you know, pharmacy no desk idea. and go back and be like, hey, what did, sh show me where these came from. What's the date and show me the provenance and show me your paperwork. Like you're not yeah. allowed to even ask that. But while you, when you make your own, you're watching it happen. You, you don't even like, there's no, it's not like, oh, well maybe the tablet press dispense the wrong amount like you're making these pills one at a time you know exactly how much active pharmaceutical ingredient went into each tablet and so i for one would feel safer using something that i made because i saw it get made from start to finish as opposed to being like well let's see if these shiny things work you know <laughs> yeah like let's just trust this pharmaceutical company in india that's making my you know, whatever drug that I'm ordering over the internet versus making it yourself. You know, you yeah. Have and that. I mean, probabilistically though, if you're getting your stuff from India, it's more likely to have 
like good quality control than stuff from American yeah, companies. Probably. <laughs> like I wouldn't trust anything here. Um, so what other drugs has your collective produced? I mean, I read that uh, you guys did your own version of uh, uh, Daraprim, which was, wasn't that the, what's that guy's name, that asshole? The farmer bro. The Martin Shacrelli. Shacrelli. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We made a good show of that. I actually called Martin Shacrelli's cell phone from stage um, at, at, hackers on planet earth which was really fun um he didn't answer the phone when i called um but i left him a message and the funny thing was is he called me back a couple hours later whoa and we actually chatted for i don't know 20 minutes or so and it was it was an interesting conversation he's in prison now yeah Um, yeah. i i I wrote him a letter and he didn't write back (laughs) but it was that one conversation that we did have is was it was it was fascinating um do Big Pharma yeah. not see you as a threat? Because you're say bound again? to be, do Big Pharma, kind of, like especially in America, do they not kind of see you as a threat though? Because you are a threat to them, to the way they make money. Well, I, I don't know. They're not very communicative with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that they don't see us as a threat. Yes. Yet, and I think that, like, ultimately, we're not really a direct threat to the way they make money because what we're offering is a way that people who don't have access to these drugs and can't afford them can get them anyway. These are people that are not part of their market share. These are people who are left behind. And so it doesn't change the economics of how they do business when I give access to people who would otherwise just go without. Um, It's not like I'm a competitor where I'm like selling something for cheaper. What I'm doing is just trying to show people how they can make things themselves and create their own access and help each other. So, you know, for Thieves as a collective, we we work to fill this gap and you know i mean ultimately if they started being ethical in their practice i mean uh, then you know we wouldn't be necessary or or if insurance companies were ethical in their practice or government regulators were ethical in their practice if any one of these groups got their proverbial act together (laughs) then we could you know just become a, uh, I don't know, a, a collective that had fun phone calls and just chatted about how each other's cats are doing. And we wouldn't have to do all of this, this work. Um, and that's, that's really the goal. Ideally, we'd like to push ourselves into a state where we're no longer necessary. We'd like to get to a point where we can, you know, drive enough of the public consciousness to the point where people who are trying to change policy and push through legislation and regulation can do so to the point where it's no longer a necessary thing. Um, I mean, and, or if that doesn't happen, we can at least get the concept of DIY medicine socially normalized to the point where when somebody says, oh gosh, I need XYZ medication and it's a zillion dollars, somebody says, well, have you thought of just trying to make it yourself? The same way that currently 
you know, somebody says, hey, there's this really rare part that isn't made anymore for my old VCR that I'd like to fix. Somebody says, hey, have you thought about 3D printing it? You know, exactly. and that's that's not a weird yeah. conversation. And, you know, 10 years ago, that was a little niche, right? Or maybe 15 years ago now, it was a little niche. But um, it's... Uh, I think it just it will be normalized eventually. But I mean, that's the fact. Of the matter is, you're up against capitalism. You're up against the Martin Shkreli who'll take a drug that was what thirteen dollars and make it seven hundred and fifty dollars. That that's why your collective is necessary. That's why it's needed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, so long as those things continue, I there will still be people fighting against it, and we're yeah, Good. we're all doing the best we can, and it's uh gonna keep at it it's brilliant like i read about uh you guys made your own EpiPen. like i don't know how much those cost but i'm sure you have to have insurance to get one um oh that was yeah that was quite a thing and again that was that was something where i terribly misestimated the traction i didn't think it was going to be noticed too much and that got us a lot of attention but it was very topical um heather brash uh the president or ceo of mylan was you know, lying to Congress on live television and people were watching it happen. And it was a similar thing had happened where they had brought the price up to, uh, yeah, what was it? $650 for a pair where it previously crazy. been like $150. Um, and, you know, that's very clear and present. You go into anaphylactic shock, you don't get one of those in a matter of minutes you are no longer alive. You're gonna die. That is the end. Yeah. Um, and the weirdest part of it is that they just have a corner on the market. That's it. It's the active ingredient in that is epinephrine. That costs a dollar a vial. No which way. if you if a vial I mean, if a vial is 10 milliliters, which is typical, that means that you would get over 30 doses out of that $1 vial. Um, and all you're doing is giving an intramuscular injection, which is not complicated. You literally stab somebody in the muscle and you dump the syringe. Now, I mean, you can do it correctly and you can do it in ways that are going to you know, cause less of a contusion. But... The only thing that's special about the EpiPen is that you just press it in and it does it for you. The amount is pre-measured and it's spring-loaded so you don't actually have to do it. Yeah. But that's not really special. So we found an off-the-shelf auto-injector that was designed for needle-phobic diabetics. And we showed how you could reload it with a syringe and needle combination that would deliver what you needed. And you just you just load it. And you're talking about a $30 auto injector, um, you know, less than a dollar for the needle and the syringe and about a dollar for the epinephrine. And also that auto injector is reusable. You just reload it when you want to reuse it. So it costs $3 or something to reload instead of having to repurchase something that's, you know, entirely self-contained. And the last part that's just the, makes my bile duct rage is that these things are not there's no way that you can manipulate them unless you break them open and you know how to do that 
And so the thing was, is that was the, the narrative was just, just mind bending how bizarre it was. The, the price went up, there were these congressional hearings. And then right after that, there was a recall because like some 65 or 70,000 of them were faulty. And there were these heartbreaking stories over and over and over and over again of these failing and people dying, people having to watch their children die on airplanes because their EpiPen didn't work after they'd already paid for it. And then after that, it got worse because they did a recall and supply wasn't meeting demand. They didn't have enough to go around. People were going without because even if they had the ability to pay for it, it wasn't there. And after all of that, the price still didn't change. Yeah, see, that's insane. And the fact that, I mean, you're giving people their own knowledge and their own power to make make it, it's, you're saving lives. Um, So uh, real quick, I know we've gone on a little bit long here. The other night when we were chatting, I asked if there are any like nefarious biohackers that you're aware of. Um, like, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I was reading about a guy named Josiah Zayner. I thought you were going to say Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, I wouldn't go so far as to say there are nefarious biohackers who are, who are, you know, these aren't people that you would color as being bad actors in bad faith, but there are certain people who are trying to leverage biohacking to be a means for profit. Yeah. Um, and when, when people try to uh, take a, a counterculture and turn it into a normalized subculture that then they profit off of by identity and branding. Like I, you know, being anti-capitalist, I don't think very highly of the capitalism apologists who come in and supplant a humanitarian effort into a business. Um, they argue vehemently uh, otherwise, but I, I, don't, I don't buy their line. Well, who's this guy, this Josiah Zayner, that was actually selling CRISPR kits? Like, have you ever seen one of these kits? Is it, he injected, well, he injected yeah, himself with this CRISPR DNA. Yeah, no, I mean, and this was the thing. He and I, um, he and I used to do stuff together. He, uh, we, we, we were friends for a while, um, and he, he decided he didn't like me anymore, unfortunately, um, and it was. It was sort of unfortunate um, because I thought that he was really being a good champion of the cause of biohacking for for a while, and then we brought a lot of there attention was this very to it. Touchy event that happened in the biohacking community where uh, one of the high profile guys who was doing a bunch of things that seemed to me very shady and again this was this is where things sort of intersect where he had these visions of making a lot of money and he wound up dead under very very suspicious circumstances and theories abound as to what happened which i think is you know ridiculous because you can paint any story you want about how this guy died and it's no less tragic 
Um, you know, was he on the verge of some great discovery and big pharma bumped him off or he would just, he was depressed because the system he was trying to build wasn't working and he went on a bender and that's how he died. It, it kind of doesn't matter. But what this did was it sent shockwaves through the biohacking community where people got very, very nervous and, and had a lot of scrutiny come to them. And I think Josiah had just had a child at that time. And so I think he was also feeling a sense of paternal responsibility and thinking about how the messages that he was putting out there were being received. And I was really disappointed by what he put out because the whole underpinning of the concept of biohacking is something that's anti-authoritarian. The idea is you're saying this should be available to everybody. And that's the goal. And again, Josiah felt that he was doing it in an ethical way by putting these kits together and then selling them at what he felt was a reasonable price. Um, and some of us were trying to say like, look, you don't have to buy a kit. You can assemble this yourself and maybe you don't need to go through uh, you know, a third party. But again, whatever it was, it was all of those efforts have the same goal. The goal is how do you make yeah. it so that an individual does not need an institution or an intermediary to be able to access the science that could potentially do good. And Josiah came out with this statement that he posted publicly everywhere that I, I found rather horrifying where what he did was he said, look, 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 look. I mess with my own DNA and I, you know, lied to certain purveyors to get viruses and things so that I could build this. And, but you shouldn't do this. This is okay because I have a PhD in biology and used to work for NASA. So I'm really smart and I know what I'm doing and you shouldn't. So everybody just calm down. And I thought that was really pretty gross. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it did the movement a, a great harm because it was then no longer about these questions of how do we empower people? How do we take this technology that is typically only for the most elite institutions and make that accessible to people who are experimenting in their garage, whatever method you try and do to do that. And it became this sort of like I, I don't know like I want to be a rock star yeah and, that's what I was like, about to say you know, it almost sounds like he was seeking fame or publicity like I, I even read that he gave himself a fecal transplant in a hotel room like with the journalist there so he could he right. could publicize like, I'm, you know I'm sure he did a very good notoriety. thing for his lower digestive system I'm not sure <laughs> why you invited journalists to witness that but I mean, again, I don't know. Um, like, what what does that do for access for people? He, you know, exactly um, nothing. And, you know. and I mean, and some of the things that he's done, I, I, again, I, I do think are good. He did make. Um, he worked with a couple of other biohackers in the very early days of COVID to do a DIY vaccine that he self-administered, yeah. which I thought was really cool. Um, 
and and he they all made their data public and the story that i heard i'm not sure how accurate it is i didn't check any sources but the story that i heard was that there's a previous group that did not make their data public and asked him to participate and he, he said sure um let, let me, let's make the data public though and they said no no we're not going to do that and he said well then i don't want to be part of that and I think that that's pretty cool. Like that takes some grit when you've got a whole bunch of people who say, come and be part of what's potentially the most important project happening right now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. on, on an ethical basis, you say no. So, I mean, he, he has, so there's he has still some elements of altruism clearly. there. Um, yeah. It's different than mine. Um, and I don't think that he's, I don't think that he's acting in bad faith. I think that he and I have different worldviews of what's, uh, what makes the world better? He he has publicly spoken about what he believes the inherent good of capitalism capitalism is, and I uh, I publicly speak about how I <laughs> believe very much the contrary. Um, and so we're just we're dealing with the different antecedent uh, different axioms in our belief yeah. structure. Yeah, but I mean, uh, ultimately, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure some of the things he he does is uh, is for the betterment of society. So. He's drawing a I mean, lot of I think, attention. I think that that's what he's trying to do. I mean, I I don't I don't think he's trying to. I think he's trying to make things better. I think he's doing it the way he thinks will work the best. Um, yeah, he, wow. he and I don't agree on that. So, uh, what what's next for uh, Four Thieves? Like, what what's the, what does the future hold for Four Thieves? So, the plague has made it hard to present things but we haven't wasted the time um we've spent the last two years building a lot of tools that were in the idea stage for a long time and i'm really 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 excited because i'm going to be speaking at hackers on planet earth um this year in new york um in july and we're going to be presenting probably all but one of these projects so it's it's a, and there are a That's lot cool. of them i think at, depending on how you count they're like you know, six or seven which is a pretty big deal usually i was pretty happy when we presented you know two or maybe three projects a year um uh, or, or even one <laughs> in a lot of cases um so we have a lot to present we have a lot to present it's gonna be really exciting at hope um and Hope's such a wonderful environment, usually filled with mostly really great people. Um, and then I'm hoping that we'll also be speaking at DEF CON. We've applied to speak at DEF CON. We haven't heard back. Um, we've spoken at DEF CON a number of times before. And we have one project on top of the rest that's a bigger deal than the others. And we're hoping that we can drop that big bomb at uh at defcon and um there'll be some really interesting tools that will be available to the public starting this summer and um yeah uh stay tuned it's gonna be good yeah definitely definitely want to hear about this well well, michael you know i i gotta say i i applaud your mission and uh and the group you get you're one of those rare people that are making a difference in this world make it a better place yeah um i think i think uh, it's needed we're more doing our best than, than and ever. the one thing that i have to emphasize is that you know although i do my bit 
it is a collective a lot of because all of these people are staying in the shadows to protect themselves because they have regular lives it's important that everybody know that it's not just me like i i basically have am in the wonderful position of being able to brag about the brilliant hard work by a huge number of brilliant hardworking people who believe in this mission and have have come together to create these tools that make it possible for people to improve their health without having to interface with institutions or ask anybody's permission or needing to raise a bunch of money. And um, they are really the ones that do the wonderful work that I'm so proud of. Um, yeah. And, my hand and I get to talk them. about it. But, <laughs> yeah, yes. but they're, yeah. they're, they are amazing. And um, to any of them listening right now, I love you all. And thank you so much for everything you do. Yeah, Michael, thank you to all. Of yeah, th- thank you. I mean, my hats off to you all, uh, Michael. Thanks for being on the show. And people, you can learn more about the uh, Four Thieves Vinegar Collective at their site, fourthievesvinegar.org. And uh, Michael, do you have anything else you you want to plug? If you like what Four Thieves does, and you believe in the mission, and you'd like to support it, find somebody who needs your help and help them whether you think they deserve it or not. (laughs) On that note, thanks for being on the show, man. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. What a fascinating individual that guy is. So intelligent. I loved speaking to him. I gotta say, I mean, the, the, what those, that collective is doing is just mind blowing. I mean, nicer than I will ever be. But I, but I agree with him. It's like, he's like, I wish we didn't exist. I wish we were made irrelevant. And that and that's kind of the goal. It's like, yeah, you know, the, the, we shouldn't have to make abortion pills at home. And we shouldn't have to do this. Well, realistically, it should be free healthcare for everyone. Like, we all just want to live and be healthy. Why, why should there ever be money attached to it? And I'm including the NHS on this. It shouldn't be Because well, capitalism, way. it's greed. I mean, it it's people like Martin Shkreli, it's like, pharmaceutical companies that's insurance companies but the fact of the matter is that you have like these collectives like this are going out there and utilizing biohacking in like an altruistic way to to, to empower the people it's i don't know it's inspiring to me that's inspiring yeah it is inspiring completely it really is and biohacking in general just kind of fascinates me i've i've never personally met anyone who's modified their body like with plan other than michael that we met virtually but i've never met i mean i've known a lot of hackers in my time yeah. but i've never met anyone who's like you know surgically implanted chips that they developed themselves into their bodies and i thought it was interesting the way he said yeah you know i went and met somebody coded it it's like what do you code it with Oh, so your body doesn't reject it. It's probably the same type of coating that's in the uh, the hormonal implant. Or like a pacemaker exactly or something, like yeah. Yeah, it's so funny because I've been reading about biohacking. I remember when I was like 15 years old, like shoplifting Bazaar magazine, and that's when I first heard about 
these people putting chips in themselves so that they could like open their doors or make a coffee machine <laughs> some of them are like crazy it's like turn on the dvd player i wonder yeah. if they have one for like netflix you know i honestly like... want the rotten.com chip chip if they make that and then i can just go on the old school rotten.com my life will, will come full circle just it'll go, be like the first time i ever watched the wire i'll be so happy what is that uh that internet archive like the yesterday thing of the internet you know you know what i'm talking about yeah rotten.com is not there I have to look into that. There's like an archive of everything on the internet that's ever been there. It's like the the Wayback Machine. The Wayback Machine. Yeah, Rotten.com is like, it got kind of basically outlawed. And same with like steak and cheese and ogreish. And that's why it all has to steak go Steak and cheese. I forgot about that one. Steak and cheese is so good. Style <laughs> project. It. I miss like all that gorehound stuff. And now it's kept well, from us. Did you ever see uh, Consumption Junction? That was all in the whole family of sites with like ogreish and all that. No, but I did see a very sad meme the other day where it said that basically everyone in the lemon party is now dead, and that that hit me in the feels. I was like, uh, they are. Yeah, all dead. that's a that's a bitter realization. It really is. It is. Yeah. God. What dark turn this conversation. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is getting really sad. All right. Well, people, go check out uh, fourthievesvinegar.org. And learn a little bit more about the collective and uh, their mission. Um, this episode eight forty two here is second wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. Three two three five two two four zero three two is that number, or you can email the show sickroundpodcast at gmail dot com. We'll get to our phone calls right after this. Hey, sick and wrong listeners, this is Trucker Paul. I gotta tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack off machines dildos, inflatable wives. I've bought them all. When I go home, I like to diddle my wife with a, a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow-up doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com. Type in the word diddle. D-I-D-D-L-E. And you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. How do y'all flick my balls? I put a spell on you. So we got a couple phone calls to get to here. Uh, 323-522-4032 is that number. Uh, we haven't had one of these in a while, but someone called in with an Ask Kate. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can play the song. Ask Kate, which was like a bit that we tried to do like a year ago and just sort of failed because people stopped calling in. But I do love it. I made theme music for it. So let me play the theme music. I, I encourage people to call and ask Kate for advice because then we get to play this lovely theme, theme song theme. that yeah. I made. I love that scene in Stranger Candy. Who do you think has had more abortions, me or Jerry Blank? <laughs> That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I'm not sure. I think pretty close. I'm going to go with Jerry, um, but pretty close. She is pretty much my idol, and I hope <laughs> in about maybe 15 years' time, I'm exactly like Jerry Blank. Me too. <laughs> 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 All right, here's a question uh, um, for uh, for Kate. Emmy, I'm going to chime in too. 
Dee and Kate, I have a love question. Love for you question. guys, even though I kind of already know what you guys are going to say, but I still want to hear your input. So I've been talking to this guy for a while. Like, we were really close. Um, we do have – he's a lot older. He's, like, 12 years older than I am, and we do have some cultural differences. He was not born in the U.S. Uh, anyways, I was wearing a plague T-shirt, and he's like, oh, I love your plague shirt. And I sent him a picture. Wait, did you say a plague T-shirt? A plague, yes, as in the plague. Maybe there's a band called the plague, and we don't know it. Or she was just wearing a plague, like a you know a middle ages. Like it's the, is the black death plague. Yeah, like a black death plague shirt from like uh, like the medieval times or something, like the middle you ages. You know, I think when she said there's cultural differences in my head, my immediate thought was he's Canadian. <laughs> She's American. He's I don't think there would be that many cultural differences with the Canadian. I was thinking the guy was like Pakistani or something. But oh, is that what you went? Okay. Yeah, I was thinking like real cultural differences. Like Canadian, I mean, they're just basically Americans that uh, like syrup and hockey. <laughs> and they're just, they're a little more polite. They're not as racist. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe they are. I, w- I would say take the racism <laughs> card back there. Uh, yeah, maybe Just they us. are. All right. Well, okay. Not as not as racist towards like a diverse number of races. Like Americans uh, yeah. are racist against like a lot Everyone. of different races. Whereas <laughs> Canadians, it's pretty much just white people and what, Inuits? And some horses there. Some horses. Dressed up as a plague doctor for Halloween. Oh, plague doctor. Oh, she's, she's talking about Halloween. Oh, okay. Mid- Middle Ages. One me dressed up as a 17th century witch. I did have a pentagram drawn on my chest. Oh, that's kind of cool. But whatever. It's fucking Halloween. Sexy. It was like a sexy witch. You yeah, know, like a sexy witch. Yeah. Fucking normal. whatever. It's Halloween. So via text, he like freaked out. He's like, you're fucking crazy. Like, I'm blocking you. I'm Correction, I'm liberating myself from you. Just because of the sexy witch costume? Maybe this guy's like a Middle Eastern. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, this guy's got to be uh, Arabic or something. Yeah. Like I'm thinking Middle Eastern, where they're like a little more conservative, but just like that, yeah, because he's actually scared that she's a real witch now because she put a pentagram on her. Has he like, never spent that fish? That's hot. Yeah, but has he never spent a Halloween here? It's like Halloween's excuse for women to dress like sluts, sluts and men to dress like women. Personally, I love what she's done because I think for Halloween you should always do a historical costume. So she's not only done historical costume but she slutted it up this is a next level historical Halloween. outfit yeah good for her yeah i was just like shocked like one i didn't think he would one i didn't think he was that big of a square two like that's kind of a fucked up thing to say just like it's oh weird. i like you better dress it as a princess or fucking whatever something more traditional i think it's also weird the way he phrased it like i am liberating myself from you <laughs> Well, like his his country liberated themselves from like Iraq or something. I mean, I don't know. It's just a weird thing to say. It's like my emancipation proclamation. It's just like, dude, just say like I'm peacing out because I think you're kind of weird and you're scaring me. It's like, yeah, you know, calm down, wizard. It's yeah, okay. It's odd. Okay, so then I blocked him <laughs> and deleted him from my contact list. Then after that, like a few minutes later, he like is calling me obsessively through a fucking iPad. I don't know. What do I do? Because, like... I- wait, wait, So, he freaked out because of her witch outfit instead of getting... becoming aroused like most normal people. 
And then yeah, she blocked him and all this. And then a few minutes later, he's just reaching back out to her. Yeah, it, but yeah, probably because he wants to control her and be like, no, woman, it is fine. Get get into your Disney Jasmine outfit. Hmm. That's what I think. I did have feelings for this guy, but I think this reaction is kind of extreme. And can you be with someone that doesn't appreciate a 17th century witch? Like, no. no. Or a plague doctor or Halloween? I don't know. No. Can't be the with anyone. really good. Like, thing. it's amazing. But sometimes he does have, like, these bouts of, like, hot or cold, yes or no. I don't know. Slightly heartbroken. Want to hear your input. Thanks. Bye. Wait, she said he, so he's kind of, like, bipolar. Like, he was up and down. No, I think he's gaslighting her, uh, to use the modern terms. He's gaslighting her. He's gatekeeping her. By by being hot and cold, because you just never know where you're going to stand. It keeps you on your toes. Fuck him. Absolutely fuck him. You should never be with anybody who plays games. Well, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you there. I also find it really suspect that he's offended by a Halloween costume. That makes me wonder, what else is this guy going to be offended by? A lot of shit, I would you know? imagine, if Halloween offends him so much. If he finds out you listen to this podcast, what's, what's he going to do? Oh like throw, you know, yeah. throw your iPod player out the window? Don't let that happen. Yeah, <laughs> you no, need I'm all just, the listeners. I'm just saying it's a slippery slope there. Heartbroken. I think it is. And it is like, yeah, what a cool costume idea. That's a great couple's costume. You want to be with somebody who would be like, fuck yeah. And then like, let's next level it up and I'll walk around with like a severed limb in my hand that was fell off of a plague victim. That's what you want out of a relationship. You don't want somebody who's going to be like, don't put a pentagram on your tits. You want somebody who's going to say, put more pentagrams on your tits. I think this guy, I think that's the thing. I think this guy's trying to be controlling. Like he wants, he has a certain image of how you should be. And fuck that. This guy doesn't Absolutely control you. Fuck that. He's not a Supreme Court justice. Fuck this guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> He's not appointed for life. Eject him. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. Chalk it up to experience love. That's what I would do. There's plenty Put this more way. Um, asshole men out there. Would you want to have his abortion? That's what you have to think about. That is exactly what you have to think it's about. The question... man would, this man would not allow an abortion. So you have to think, would you like a forced pregnancy slash marriage with this man? It's the question every woman has to ask themselves. <laughs> would you would you abort his fetus? In secret. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up is uh, FM calls in. FM. Nice. Hadn't heard from him a long time. He actually called in twice. One call I saved for second show this week. And then uh, this other call I'm playing on the main show. Good to hear from you, FM. Uh, Hello. It's um, FM again. Um, I figured I would call in like I uh, always do, as whenever I go through a good amount of, I guess, progress socially. And also that I had a lot of different events in my life come forward, and I can't really say all of them. Uh, Way, way, way too many calls if I tried to do that. Um, I, wow, FM's been keeping busy. I was wondering what's been going on with this guy because it's, I don't know, it's been a few months. Yeah, you don't want to use this show like a diary like fucking Schlitzie and Jizzy Jake used to do. No, exactly. And plus, when you call nothing. that many times, I'm not going to play it because I, I usually try to space things out. But yeah. I was wondering, like, what's been going on with FM? It's been a little while. The biggest and most current thing I've tried to do besides my usual houseworking is I went on sort of a... I guess you can call it a dating adventure. Um, Good for you. It was a speed dating 
uh, event in my local area, um, there was a few people like. That's interesting. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done speed dating? No, but I I totally agree with speed dating. I think it's a really good way to kind of meet people and vet them, especially for women, because you kind of know, like instantly. If you how, how much person. time do you get to speak to these people? I think it varies. What is it like three minutes or five minutes? My first question would be like, what's your favorite Ramones album? Because that's going to sort ninety nine percent of the boys from the men. Because the like, say, who? who are the Ramones? Although if they say the first Ramones album, then it's just a no. That's they're it. Just, like, they're it's like, over. I like Coldplay. That's a no. Or I'd be like, what's your favorite Iron Maiden album? You're like, next. It would be. I would be like, yeah, like the show, the MTV show. Next. Next. Um, I loved that show. Yeah, that is funny. I, I think it'd be interesting to see how many people I could repulse like in a row. Uh, just being me. Would you just, just do it on purpose, though? No, I would just probably be trying to make conversation, and inadvertently they would just be repulsed. Or maybe well, it's just the way I said, look. I do a podcast, and they'd be like, what's your podcast about? You'd be like, shit stories in Bukaki, mainly. Next. I'd, I'd be like, do-it-yourself abortions. Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Let's say, like, 20 or 30. Yeah, um, 30 people. Kind of like a 60-40 split. And I I decided I don't really have that much in terms of sexual orientation. So I so I talked to both uh, men and female, and we ended up wow. wow good for you there FM and that's he's really broadening his horizons. Yeah, he totally is. That's a, a new development. Good for him. FM's a trisexual. He'll try anything. Anything once. Yeah. yeah. That's what Samantha Jones says on Sex and City. <laughs> that's what uh, Buster Poindexter used to say. <laughs> <laughs> when asked about sexual orientation, you'd be like, I'm a trisexual. Um, good for you there, FM. I guess it was sort of like bombing. I'm not going to oh. lie. I bombed completely. Um, uh. One woman was only looking at her cats, and the other had a completely non-standard way of talking, and I ended up having to go. There was nothing... Wait a second. What's a non-standard way of talking? Like instead of maybe saying, hello, how are you doing? What's your age? She just went, what's your favorite Ramones album? I guess that's non-standard, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would she... like to know, like, did she have a weird affectation? Uh, did she rap instead of speak? Like, what? Oh, my God. That would be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> sat down and the other person started rapping just their life rapping. history. I'd be like, Next. <laughs> Next could really do um and i guess it's just the idea that i spent all that time just talking and going through the majority of being in that chair while seeing somebody not really care about me while looking in front of me not really caring about who i was there was one lady who talked to me that was like a crazy cat lady hey and so i guess i can say i failed no, you didn't fail, FM. That's called dating. It is called dating, it's FM. Called At dating. least you didn't have to suffer through an actual date where you're there for like an hour and a half talking to them because that's real torture. Yeah, just a tedious meal. It's just like both of you, you know that you're not going to get laid. And it's just like, just I'll pay the bill. Let's just get the fuck out of here. And never speak Go to each other ever ways. again. You know, usually what I've never done speed dating. I, I guess I've just never. Yeah, I've never done it. I've just never been around 
typed it. I don't know. How do you I find speed it, dating? But it was never local up here, but yeah, I totally would have done it. I've ever, agree with it. They must have speed dating, I'm sure, in LA. It just it's never occurred to me. But I've done yeah. a lot of okay Cupid and Tinder dating, which is similar to speed dating. It's just you know, swipe left, swipe right, really quickly. Um, but you know, you you chat with people. And you kind of have a bit of a rapport. And it's funny because in OkCupid, you chat with someone for like a week and then you go meet up. And then it's like you've already established a rapport. Tinder, it's like, and I don't know about Hinge. I haven't really used that. But like Tinder and Bumble and all those, it's like you chat a couple times. And it's like, oh, let's go have a drink. So it's like you don't really know this person. You're meeting this person random. And then you go to the bar and you start talking. And you just see that they just don't care. They're just thinking like, can I look at my phone or will he be offended? Yeah, it's a fucking tricky world. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's just a part of dating, FM. You know, it's like narrowing it down. Eventually, you're going to find a girl that doesn't want to look at her phone. She's actually laughing at your jokes. Yeah. You know, it it just, it takes a little while. But I guess it was a good victory. I think because so. Because I went and I talked to people who I never would have done in my life. I tried to open myself up within 30 minutes or totally. less. Totally. Yeah. And... I didn't have any negative feelings outside being bombed. So I guess I'd say that's a personal victory. I don't know if it's a bombing. I, th- I, I don't think, think it's, it's a like you, you, you went out, you, you put your feelers out, you got out of your comfort zone, met people, hung out, talked to people. Sure, it didn't work out, but that, that, seriously, that's dating. It you know? It's difficult. That's the way it goes. Yeah, that's the way it goes. I, I'm glad you did it. And I, I, my thing, what I would say to you is don't give up, do it again. You know, you never know. I guess it's just a tiny little talk, and it's a little bit quick for me, but all in all, I can say that I tried. And even if I failed, it wasn't as bad as it would have been. So hopefully next time I do it, it goes well. Be the way, just a tiny little call in the middle, because I know I haven't done it in a long while. Um, Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Thank you, D, and thank you, Kate. Well, good to hear from you, FM. And you know what? Seriously, big ups to you, man. You're going out of your comfort zone. You're doing it. And don't give up. Do it again. Yeah, dating's scary anyways, no matter how, like, what form you take it on, whether you're doing it on the internet or doing something like that. It's always scary, but you got to do it. I, I mean, honestly, I can't even tell you how many times I met a girl that I'd been chatting with on, like, Tinder oh, or you. Bumble. And it was just like... A it, lot. Yeah, and it's just like you meet them at the bar and they don't look like what... You thought they were going to look like you guys have nothing in common and it's apparent and you just have one drink and just leave. I mean, that's what happens. That's the worst. And I would say from the female perspective, there's so many fuck boys on the the apps that you just say you get to the point where you just like distinguish like the fuck boys from the rest. But then you get the fuck boys in disguise who are trying to be nice just so they can get a fuck out of you. It's like, oh, fuck this. Yeah, I was never good at the the uh, internet dating probably I because my opening be... question was what's your favorite Amazon which is a good way to uh, filter it out you know I mean I imagine it's way worse for women you know I think with guys it's a bit demoralizing because you just like never hear back whereas women I imagine get inundated with douchebags Jojo does okay I mean hey VFM, if you want of... a stinker take some advice from Jojo Kind of. I wouldn't say he does does that great. I mean, he sends me a lot of uh, screen caps of some of his conversations. And I, I laugh about it because I think it's funny. But I mean, I'm like, God, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that because it's just fucking, this is terrible. Oh, like, a, lot you know, of when, the, a lot of women are fucking vicious to Jojo. 
I, I just think it's also just kind of like being just online and having to deal with it. And that's what, you know, that's kind of the world of dating. So he sent me this one. It's pretty funny. So this woman, kind of attractive. Hi, um, Jojo. Yeah, this is on like Bumble or whatever. And it's, it says she's Christian, which is already a red flag that's a, to me. That's the warning sign already straight away. And she says, hey, Jojo, how's it going? And he goes, good. How you doing? Do you live in San Francisco? And she goes, no, I'm in Lafayette. And she goes, do you live in the city? He goes, I am. Do you come to the city often? She goes, no, I avoid the city like the plague, LOL, unless I have a good reason to have to go. And he said, ha ha, I usually avoid Christians like the plague, so I feel you. <laughs> hey, hey, Jojo. <laughs> that's amazing. No response. <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so that's what that's what i'm saying fm don't give up dude you know i mean it's it, that's what dating's all about yeah at least you're trying yeah. um good to hear from good you egg. yeah uh people call the sick Run hotline 323-522-4032 uh we did get one email from a joe from stockport uk is stockport oh my God, stockport right d what do you think i'm going to say about stockport well, i'm going to, i'm thinking you're going to say the same thing he did he put in parentheses northern shithole thank you joe <laughs> it is a shithole <laughs> so he wrote sterling cooper creeps going to creep sterling if you might recall is uh he was an ex husband actually of ryan keely like, oh that guy yeah, right. yeah that australian guy and then i think we we I don't know, did a whole thing on Patreon where we were like playing his, his like, uh, he's like one of those guys as like men's rights advocates. I got drunk for that one. Towards the end, I was like, I just can't hear anymore. I was like, stop this man. Oh, uh, yeah, this guy, he's terrible. Anyway, uh, Joe writes in, he's parading his awful sex tips on TikTok now because we played it from YouTube and it was terrible there. Okay. I, I can't imagine on TikTok. He goes, give them a watch, just as tragic as his previous offerings. Please give them an appropriate roasting on the show. Maybe we're gonna have to do a part do and uh and have do a do a roasting of his TikToks on, uh, on the second Patreon. show. Let's do it. I'm well up for that. We oh, should God. do like um a, a weirdos of TikTok uh patron special. Yeah, well, I would say this guy is definitely one of them. But, you know, he I love his Instagram. I always show it to Ryan Keeley because uh, she's blocked. He's blocked her. And I always, like, I'll screen cap it and send it to her. But it's hilarious. Like, he hangs out with these other douchebags. They're all, like, and they write these, like, pithy little aphorisms about how you're a man and men are supposed to be like this and, you know, don't give in to women how control, to be a man. dominate women and it just shows him like standing in front of like an aston martin in the in dubai it's, it's ridiculous it's so outdated <laughs> it's disgusting i uh, hate no, it's, it it's laughable anyway thanks joe uh we'll have to check that out check out his yeah. tiktok thanks for the um tip. people there was a great second show this week not trying to brag but it was a good second show uh we, we chatted about kate's drunken night out on the town with her racist co-workers <laughs> and that was in good. a shithole part of northern england um i actually went and saw jimmy carr live uh downtown la as part of the netflix is a joke festival um so talk about that and we share our thoughts and prayers for uh john Steele this week i don't know if people that might not have been oh. on facebook might have heard about john's loss but gordon p bill died uh this week at the age of 89 
uh, probably one of the uh, the most famous molesters that uh, that were was at my old high school. John Steele was a very had a very intimate relationship with uh, with Gordy P. Um, it's interesting that he lived to be. Boys. It's interesting he lived to be eighty nine because that's coincidentally the same number of kids that he did on. Hey, I don't know if you knew that. But guess what? John Steele was not one of them because he was not attractive enough. It and wasn't attractive. You. Yeah. Well, I'm. You know, I. You're definitely, an Ashworth's kid, but you were definitely not. Well, attractive no, I, d- I believe me. I definitely was not attractive enough back then. But I, uh, I was a little too. Actually, I don't even think I lived in this country when Bogalki was diddling. Because I think he got arrested in 89. Right. So you just missed that. But Ashworth could have had a go at you. But I mean, you you would just. Ashworth, yeah. Ashworth was never into. I just didn't. I wasn't arousing to him. Put it that way. No. Yeah. I tried. (laughs) Um, But people, second show is different than the main show. It's a different beast. You know, I kind of feel like second show is like a mullet. You know, and hear me out. This is the party. Business up front which is what the main show is. You know, we do a very structured main show, party in the back. So people come join the party. Like, listen to us joke about pedo funerals on the second show. <laughs> really, I'm really trying to get Steele to go do a eulogy for Gordy P. Bagalki. His funeral's like May 12th. Like, don't you think I he should really- go? I want all of us to put like a quid in into the collective pot and we can send one of those flower arrangements that spells out words and I want you to spell out the word nonce. No. I just think that would be so amazing next to his casket, next to Gordy's casket. What I want to happen is have Steel wear like a cowboy hat with like a camera in it so we can oh. film the whole thing, you know, live stream pro. it. Yeah, that'd be great. Anyway, people go check out Second Show. It's only five bucks a month, literally. Five dollars a month. And you get you get access to a whole second show, and for a few bucks more, you can check out Sick and Wrong Overkill. Uh, this week, Kate uh, is recommending her um, you know preferred do do it yourself abortion techniques. Um, I'm sure she's done a lot. She's uh, researched it. There's a few that she likes better than others, but you can learn a lot from uh, from Overkill this week. And also at that at that same Patreon level, you get access to the Sick and Wrong archives, the newly revamped. Sick and Wrong Archives. I actually went through, it took me about a week, but I converted all first 10 years of the show to SoundCloud playlists that are available on the Patreon. So, And they're also available on the website as well. So if you go to uh, sickandwrongpodcast.com, click on shop, you can have access to all of the, uh, the first 10 years archives. So patreon.com slash sickandwrong. We appreciate your support in the show. And if you feel like getting some merch, I don't know what's stopping you. Go to uh, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Go to the T Public Store and check out some of these hot and sexy new designs. Yes, um, Bish. Yeah, I made a Bish shirt. Um, very 70s style. I got a Stinkor shirt. And on our jo- you know, it was JoJo's birthday. I'm thinking I'm going to pick him up one of those Stinkor shirts. I think you should get him a Stinkor and a Bish t-shirt. Maybe. I think he'd like Imagine that. Jojo showing up to your first date in a bish t-shirt. I think that'd go for well. I think it'd show I that he's in it. touch with his feminine side. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also made a Satan is waiting shirt, which uh, I thought would be a lot more popular than it actually is. But anyway, just go to the Public, <laughs> the Sigurong Tea Public store, and buy yourself some merch. I finally hear Sigurong's Song of the Week. You know, I was, I was painstakingly doing research to find a topical an appropriate abortion song. And I came across this one that I find amazing. I think I love the synth that's being used. 
I'm not a huge fan of the artist, personally, nope. um, but I do like this song. It's so fucking creepy. It's as creepy as the pro-life movement. It's that creepy. It's emblematic it's of the pro-life movement. Songs yeah. I've ever heard. So it's called 16,000 Faces, and it's by Pat Boone. It came out in 1985. And so Boone wrote this song to protest the U.S. Supreme Court decision at that time to uphold a ruling that prevented the mass burial of 16,000 fetuses found at the home of uh, California lab operator Malvin Weisberg. So apparently this guy was, uh, was an abortion doctor. And in 82, he had aborted a lot of fetuses. Um, and he just couldn't, I guess he faced some financial difficulties and he couldn't get rid of the, the, the medical waste, as it should be known. And uh, so anyway, police ended up finding 16,000 aborted fetuses floating in formaldehyde in a storage container at his Woodland Hills home. And so it, it, it started a controversy because all these uh, pro-life and Christian groups are like, they need to be buried in a Christian burial. And a California judge said that they're not human. It's human remains. They're not people. Yeah. They're aborted fetuses. And so Boone was appalled. And so he you know, put pen to paper and he wrote this song called 16,000 Faces, mourning the savagery of abortion and the callousness of the judges who went home to dinner satisfied that they'd done their best, whereas 16,000 motherless children have no place to rest. Oh it's such God. a creepy song. Yeah, it it's such great. a creepy song. Anyway, um, people, we'll be back next week with episode 843. Till then, take a sleep. <laughs> Faces, thirty-two thousand eyes, sixty-four thousand arms and legs, at least a million cries, sixteen thousand fathers running from a rusty grave, sixteen thousand mamas hiding from a child she didn't save.
about church and state All they try to make it sound like love But it always comes out hate Burn that stuff, it's rubbish Those eyes weren't meant to see Not one of those 16,000 brains Could ever think like me Have a nice night. 